this episode, Katie Singer and Nisha Patel look at the basics of taxation. They discuss what tax rates are depending on whether you're self-employed or operating through a limited company and how your payments may change if you're moving roles from a salary GP to a GP partner. Accountancy on Prescription by RBP, one of the leading firms of medical specialist accountants. We know what you find tough, but don't you worry, as we know our stuff. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Accountancy on Prescription. I'm Katie Singer, one of the partners here at RBP, and today I'm joined by my colleague and client principal, Nisha Patel. Hi, Nisha. Hi, Katie. How are you? Good, thank you. How are you? Good, good, good. So we are carrying on our series of Understanding Practice Accounts, and today we thought it'd be really useful to cover taxation. So we'll probably just start off with the basics and then lead into, after we've covered sort of things that you really do need to know, to be honest, regardless of whether you are considering joining a practice, it's just useful information to know, lead on to the things that could or would potentially affect you if, say, you're a partner in practice and what happens with your tax. Sanish, why don't we get stuck straight in with basically tax, what it is, what the rates are. I won't go into the full detail of why we have to pay it because that's not why we're here, but let's talk a little bit about the rates and and how it affects people. So unfortunately, we all have to pay tax and it's based on the profits that we make in the partnership or individually or any income that we're earning. So any income that you declare or you earn, you have to pay tax on. So first of all, you have the personal allowance, which is about £12,000 you can earn in a year without paying any tax. Then you've got the basic rate, which is up to 50000 and you pay 20%. Then you've got the higher rate, which is earnings up to 125000 which is taxed at 40%. And lastly, is the additional rate, which is taxed at 45% for earnings over 125000 Yeah, I mean, it's actually changed recently. So if you're listening, thinking, hold on a minute, I don't remember it being 125000 With effect from the 6th of April, the government changed the extra rate ban. So it used to be earnings up to 150000 but now it's, well, it's not exactly 125000 It's 125540 I think, but we just say 125000 for ease. Will you run us a little bit more through the personal allowance? So what it is, and I've heard people talk about losing it. Will you just go into a bit more detail about that? So the personal allowance is income that you can earn, which is £12,570 without paying any tax. But the minute you start earning over 100000 you start losing your personal allowance. Mm. And I think it's for every £2, you lose £1 of your personal allowance. That's exactly right, Nisha. That's the easiest way to understand it. So by the time you're earning 125000 you've effectively lost your total £12,500 of tax-free allowance and all of that income is taxed at a basic rate of tax. It's not tax-free. And also, Katie, one thing that people might not know, any earnings that you have over 100000 you have to submit a tax return. Even if you're employed, you still have to submit a tax return. 
Yeah, correct. So you might find that you're employed and you're you're quite highly earning, especially if you're, say, a salaried doctor and you're working, say, 10 sessions for a practice, you might find that your pay packet is over 100,000. HMRC will write to you and they will expect you to do a tax return. Of course, it's extremely straightforward. You're just going to plug in the two numbers from your P60. But yes, you are required to do one if HMRC writes to you to say, we would like you to do one. Even if you think, hold on a minute, I'm just employed. Like Nisha said, if you're earning over 100,000, the obligation to do one doesn't just get waived because you're employed. And if you're employed, you don't really need to worry about your tax because this is actually deducted on your salary and you'll see the deductions coming out on the payslip. But you will have to make a tax provision or pay on account if you are self-employed. And this is one element you can either pay via the practice or pay personally yourself. So Katie, in some cases, we do make tax provisions in the accounts. Yes. So what Nisha's getting at here is let's say you've joined a partnership and they say you want to know whether you're drawing what we call net or gross. So drawing gross means you get all of your money out of the practice. You might want to go back and listen to our drawings episode about this. You take all of your money out of the practice, you deduct your pension if you're in it, and then the rest of the money is yours and you save for your own tax. In other situations, and this is one that I personally prefer because I think it's it's definitely good for people who are less good at saving. In other situations, you might be paid net. And what that means is it's your paid after tax, a bit like you would be if you were salaried, like a salaried doctor or a salaried GP. But what effectively is happening is the accountant, myself, et cetera, has worked out what we think your tax bill is going to be. And we've held that money back within the practice. So in effect, twice a year in July and in January, and again, for those of you who don't know, there's previous podcasts we've talked about on how you pay your tax. If you're self-employed, you pay tax twice a year. These balances will be paid over to HMRC by the practice themselves. So you don't need to worry about saving. Now, of course, it is just an estimate. So there might be a situation where we come to the end of the year, practice profits have been significantly higher. And so your tax bill is actually higher than we estimated. So there's more money needing to go over to HMRC. In most circumstances, that isn't an issue because if you've earned more than we thought you have, but you've taken the drawings we recommended, there'll be the rest of the money sitting in the practice pot. That's why the practice might find there to be a nice, healthy surplus bank account. And that money then just gets transferred over to HMRC. So it's definitely not something to worry too much about if your practice has said, don't worry, we take care of your own tax. I'd say in 95% of cases, this would mean that the practice is saving enough every month or every six months to put aside for your tax bills. Also, Katie, one other point to mention, if you think that the practice is going to make slightly reduced profits, it would be advised to do the accounts early so you can reduce the payment on account if you've had a significant drop in profits as well. Exactly. So as I said, you pay tax twice a year, you pay it once in July and once in January. But it's a bit confusing because in January, you're actually making two payments. You're making the balancing payment for the tax year you've just had, and you're paying the first payment for the future tax year you're about to pay. It's a bit confusing, but that's what you do. However, when you have your second payment on account, which is the July payment, it's just based on what you earn in the year before. So as Nisha said, if you know all your accounts are done before the end of July, you can reduce that second payment. Now, one thing I would say is it is getting harder and harder to have tax returns for GP partners completed before the end of July. Very straightforward. If you're listening now and you're a salary GP 
or a locum who has a mix of income and self-employed income, for you, it's so important to get your tax returns done before the end of July. Even if you've got more tax to pay, fine, you're still ahead of the curve. But if you've got less tax to pay, you can have that reduced from your July payment. With practices, slightly more challenging because you guys are waiting longer and longer to get your accounting information back from PCNs, back from networks, back from NHS England. So it makes it harder to do the accounts. But if you're an individual, I don't want to say there should be no reason because I know life does get in the way, but really do try and get your tax returns done and dusted before the end of July to reduce those second payments. And it's also good tax planning because then you know what your liability is and you've got more time to pay. Exactly. I mean, look, the earliest you can do your tax return is the 6th of April. Nobody's doing it on that day. It's not possible. But if you did, you don't have to pay that tax until the 31st of January. You know, it's not like you have to pay it any earlier, but at least you know if you've got a balancing payment, say, of 10 grand coming up in a year's time and you're a bit tight or you've just blown it all on a holiday, at least you've got, you know, what's that, seven, eight months to find the money. If you do your tax return at the beginning of January, you've got less than 30 days to find the money. And as we've said before, the tax man does not like people not paying him. He also doesn't use anything as an excuse like, oh, I didn't realize or, oh, I didn't know. It just doesn't wash with him. So you really, really, really must know. Katie, what I find a common question is like when a new partner's joined a practice, they always have higher tax bills than their normal partners. So can you explain why that is the case, why their tax bills will be slightly higher than someone doing the same session rate as another partner? Yeah, absolutely. And there's so many factors actually that come into play here, especially, so there's sort of two scenarios. So one would be a partner joins the practice midway through the year. So if we talk about the financial year being, well, it's to the 5th of April, but let's say to the 31st of March, just for ease. If somebody joins on the 1st of April, they're in line with the fiscal year. But if they join halfway through the year, they're only going to be a partner for say six months of the year. So they're going to have a bit of a funny first couple of tax bills because the first year will only be a partner for six months. Then the second year, a partner for 12 months. And in you know, in this scenario, we're assuming that as a partner, you're going to be earning more than you would have done as a salary GP, perhaps with a salary GP locum mix. One of the main reasons that partners find their first year or two's tax bills so high is A, their income has gone up because that's obviously expected. B, when you're working as a salary GP, your tax is deducted on a monthly basis, it's deducted at source. When you become self-employed, the tax man doesn't take anything and instead you pay it all over as a big lump sum. But as I've mentioned, you pay it in installments. So you pay a balancing payment and the first payment on account. So effectively, your first tax bill, which is going to be basically a year and a half after you start working at the practice, if you started working in April, it's going to be the whole year plus 50% of the next year. So it's going to be a very, very large amount of tax to pay. But if you're putting a money aside every month, or if your practice is putting that money aside every month, in theory, by the time you get to that period of time, the reserve should be there, the fund should be there. That's why we always say it's so, 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 so important to put aside. I use the number 30%, which is sort of a hybrid, somewhere between 20 and 40%. You know, some's going to be at 20, probably some's going to be at 40. If you're putting aside 30%, you're going to be covered. The other element, and this is a bit niche for GP partners, and the reason why your first couple of tax bills might be really high is because many of you will find having had dealings with PCSE, it could be quite a struggle to have you listed as a partner if you've become a partner. What I mean by this is if you're a salaried at your practice and you join as a partner, 
really NHS England and PCSE should communicate and take a little bit more pension deduction from you every month. But often this doesn't happen. So when you come to do your tax return at the end of the year, the amount that you can declare as your pension contributions, and this is the amount of money that's just been automatically taken from you, will be disproportionately low. Now, for those of you who don't know, you get tax relief when you make pension contributions. So you declare your income and you take off your pension and you pay tax on the net figure, the figure after pension is deducted. But of course, if they haven't taken enough pension, you're not going to get as much tax relief. So you will find that not only do you have a big first tax bill because it's the first ever bill you're paying and you're paying 18 months tax bill on the first go, you also don't get as much tax relief from your pension. Now, what will happen is your accountant will prepare a superannuation certificate. There's going to be another episode. I think it might even be the next one on understanding the superannuation side of practice accounts. So do listen out for that one. You will do a type one certificate and the balance will get deducted from the practice, but it can take a couple of years to do so. So don't be alarmed if your first couple of tax bills do look a little bit erratic and you're a little bit confused as to why you're working six sessions, the same as another partner who's been there for a lot longer, but you're not taking as much because it does does take a while for you to level out and for your taxes to all even out over time. I think that's a fair description, do you think, Nisha? Definitely, definitely. And also, sometimes if someone is working in the same sessions, their tax bills might be slightly different. And that could be due to that they could have some personal income that they're declaring on the tax return. Now, this can be dealt with in two ways. The practice can pay that or they can pay an element of that personally themselves. So the partnership only pays for the partnership profits. Yeah. And we often get asked, you know, let's say you were doing 80% of your work through as a GP partner and you did locum work for 20% of your time. We would be able to provide you with a reasonable split of what should be paid personally and what should be paid via the practice. Because it might be that we've made a provision that the practice can afford to pay your whole tax bill. But if they can't, then you will have to find some personally. But again, you should just be very aware of whether you're expecting the practice to pay your personal tax bill. If it's a lot of money, then you're probably thinking, well, I can pay this myself. If your second job is a salaried role, well, it's already been deducted at source. There will likely be a little bit of extra tax to pay, but the difference will be quite small. So it shouldn't be an issue for the balancing payments to come from the practice. And Katie, am I right in thinking it doesn't matter if the practice pays or they pay it personally because, you know, it's coming out the current account balance. So it's already been taxed. So it's up to them if they want to take additional drawings to cover the tax payment. Yeah, exactly. I mean, to be honest, we are going through a bit of a change in time whereby interest rates have finally gone up. So if you do have excess cash and you've got it in a bank or in a high interest savings account, you will be making a little bit more interest than we've seen in the last sort of 10, 12 years. So historically, individuals took the view, which was, well, I'm not getting any money in my own bank account. I might as well leave it in the practice bank account. If you are lucky enough to have a high interest account or you have an easy access ISA, it might be that you think, you know what, it's all very well the practice paying for my tax, but actually I'd rather have the cash myself, put it into a savings account, get a little bit more interest than I would have done previously and I'll pay it over myself. Again, these are just conversations for you to have with your partners if you're joining a practice. I personally don't see that there is any issue with some drawing net and some drawing gross. You know, it doesn't really affect anybody else. It's just ensuring if you do draw gross, you yourself are responsible for putting that money aside. You can't really then expect to dip back into practice money if it's not available. If it is available, fine. But if it's not, just be very conscious. So Katie, we often get asked the question, should I set up a limited company if they've got 
you know, additional income from private work or locum. And we generally don't advise it, but there are certain cases where we would advise it. But before we do that, do you want to run through the rates of taxes that you pay for a company? Yeah. So this is one of the most common conversations I have with individuals. My friends told me or my mate down the pub has told me that I should be putting my income through a limited company. And depending on what the situation is, as you've said, there will be times where it'll be relevant. But if it's your sole purpose of income and you need all of that money to live off, it probably won't be. But I'll just run through the rates. So companies are taxed corporation tax. They don't pay income tax, they pay corporation tax. And those corporation tax rates are for profits up to £50,000, which for most of you listening, if you had additional income that you were supplementing your salaried role or your partner role, it's very likely that your profits will actually fall below the £50,000. So that would be taxed at 19%. However, the change that came in this April is it's on a sliding scale between 50000 up to 250000 The tax rate goes from 19% all the way up to 25%. And for profits over 250000 which I'm going to be honest, is not really going to apply to any GPs or GP locums, is all taxed at over 25%. So there's sort of a transitional rate of tax between 50,000 and 250,000 pounds. So yes, 19% is lower than the current lowest rate of tax, which is 20%. But then we're going up to 21, 22, 23, 24. We're actually going up higher than the basic rate of tax before we've started. So that's just something to consider. Then if you want to take some money out, you take it out by way usually as a dividend. So again, we've talked about this before, but the first currently, the first £1,000 of dividends you take are tax-free. Used to be quite a bit higher, but currently it's only £1,000. With effect from next April, so April 2024, that figure goes down to £500. So actually the tax-free amounts that you're able to take are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Obviously, new governments could come in and change that, but this is the current tax rates. So you've had your first tax-free dividend. Then if you are a basic rate taxpayer, so as Nisha said at the beginning of the podcast, that's if your earnings are under 50,000, your dividends are taxed at 8.75%. Again, most of you listening will have your limited company as an additional business or an additional stream of income. So it's very unlikely that you're earning under 50,000 pounds. So we're going to scrap that one and go straight to the next rate of tax, which is when you're earning under 125,000, you pay tax on your dividends at 33.75%. So you've paid 19% corporation tax, and now you're going to add on 33.75%. That's a total tax paid of 52.75%. So it's more than the 40% bracket that you'd be in as income tax. So this is why we say it's not always going to be the case that you save money by having a limited company. You could potentially pay more tax. What you don't pay on dividends is national insurance, and national insurance rates can be quite high. However, national insurance goes towards your state pension. So if you are wholly earning through a limited company and you are not making additional contributions to your state pension, you do need to contact your accountant or contact the future pensions office because it could be that you don't have enough qualifying years to receive your state pension when you do come to retire, which at the moment I think is 67 or 68. But that's just something to consider. So yes, you pay less overall in the pot, but some of that pot is for your future benefits benefits. So just, just, just keep that in mind. Of course, if you're an extra rate taxpayer, which is now if you're earning over 125000 your dividend tax 
is 39.35%, which is a total tax if you consider corporation tax at 19% of 58.35%. It's a very, very high amount. However, Nisha, you were telling me a situation the other day where actually it made a lot of sense for one of your clients to become a limited company. Will you just chat us through that? Because I thought it was really useful. Yes. So their earnings was roughly about Mm 110,000. So they've got children and they're receiving childcare hours for the children. Currently, if you have any earnings over 100,000, you lose the 30 hours and you only get 15 hours. Mm -hmm. Now, if you've got two, three children, that's a big cost. You know, you'd be paying out if you were to get the reduced hours. So the idea was to set up the company and then put the income into the company and obviously retain the money in the company because you're only paying the tax on the dividend. So by doing it in that form, the earnings for the year were under 100000 So they would still keep the 30 hours funding. Yeah. Basically, he was able to manipulate his earnings. He didn't have to take any more out. And so he could keep his income under the threshold, keep it in the company to draw out a later date and still retain the childcare hours. Now, I can't do the numbers. I don't know. All nurseries are different, but he's probably paying a slight bit more tax in the future, potentially a slight amount to save probably thousands of pounds in childcare. And when I did the projections for him, there was additional cost for him to set the company, but it completely outweighed the cost he'd be paying Mm. for nursery fees. Yeah. So that's why we say it won't just be, oh, well, my friend has a limited company or, oh, I think I should do this. Your own personal situation has to be considered, which is why whenever anyone ever says to me, should I set up a company for my additional income? I look at their tax return. I see the kind of tax they're paying. If they're already an extra rate taxpayer, I say to them, for sure, set up a limited company and just drip the money out if you want. But just be aware, if you if you need that extra money, if you're going to be earning an extra £50,000 and you want to take it, it's not going to be in your interest to earn it through a company, pay tax at 19% and take the rest out at dividend rates. It just doesn't make financial sense. So you do need to sit down with an accountant and take all of those into consideration. So Katie, I think we've covered the elements of you know being in a company, being in a partnership, and being self-employed of the way the tax can get paid. One thing I'd like to mention, you know, when we do the partnership accounts and do the individual tax returns for the partners, we ask for their personal expenses. And this is normally sent to us or should be sent to us while we're doing the partnership accounts. This also helps us, you know, get a more accurate figure of what the tax liabilities are going to be if we have all their personal expenses in time as well. Yeah, exactly. So if you're listening and you're joining a partnership or you have recently joined a partnership, do make sure that you send your expenses in either to the practice manager who can pass it on or just directly to your tax manager or to your accountant so that they have got your expense claims as soon as possible. And we always get asked, oh, I'm not sure if this is allowed or that's allowed. I would always say, send everything in, write everything down on your claim form that you think, oh, I'll put this through we will know whether you can claim for it or not. So, you know, common things that can't be claimed for, people often put glasses down, people often put clothing down. These kind of things can't be claimed for, but we know that. So if you're not sure, put it down. We'll know if we can or we can't. Similarly, if things are missed off, you know, if you say you've got a car, but you haven't given me your road tax, your insurance, your petrol costs, I'm going to say, have you got them? Or can you give me a 
you know, an estimated figure of what you spend because we know that those things should be on your tax return. So, so do always send those in. And, and just as a reminder, the earlier you send them in, the better. Again, there is no point leaving those expenses until January because you're going to struggle to get good financial advice from an accountant who's really, really, really busy and swamped with late tax returns if you don't send in your expenses early. So once you've sent those expenses in, they get allocated to your tax return, along with your partnership profits, along with any other income on your profits that you might have. So rental properties, locum income, salary, you know, payroll income, and then your tax return can be calculated. And that's when you can be advised of what your tax bills are. And again, that money can either come out of your pocket personally, if you've been paid gross or from the practice pot, if the drawings have been sent net and the monies have been put aside in the practice. Okay, Nisha. Well, I think we've covered the basics there of why it's important to just have a basic understanding of taxation, how it works and how it gets paid over. And if you have enjoyed our podcast, please do like and subscribe and look out for our next in the series, which, as I mentioned, I think will be about superannuation when you're a partner. And all look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you, Nisha. Bye. Thank you. Bye. You have been listening to RBP's Accountancy on Prescription podcast. For any updates, please visit www.rbp.co.uk or follow us on Twitter at RBPCA. The contents of this podcast is for general guidance and informational purposes only and does not constitute any form of advice. The information provided by RBP is of a general nature. Appropriate and tailored advice or independent research should be obtained before making any decisions. RBP does not accept any liability for any loss or damage which is incurred from you acting or not acting as a result of listening to Accountancy on Prescription.